Amen. Go ahead, take your seats. And as you're doing that, you can open up your Bibles again to Galatians chapter 5. If you don't have a copy of God's Word, uh, we've got some ushers here that are walking to the back with some Bibles in their hands. We would love to put a copy of God's Word into your hand today. Just slip your hand up. Let us know that you need one. And if you don't own a Bible, please take this home. Receive this today as a gift from us to you. Uh, We would be um, really, really happy to be able to bless you with a copy of God's Word. Well, uh, a 17th century philosopher once said these words. He said, all men seek happiness. This is without exception. Whatever different means they employ, they all tend to this end. The cause of some going to war and of others avoiding it is the same desire in both attended with different views. The will never takes the least step but to this object. This is the motive of every action of every man. John Piper, agreeing with this assessment that happiness is something every individually, individual rather, sorry, is constantly seeking after, he says that this is a law of the human heart as gravity is a law of nature. Now whether uh, an old philosopher or a contemporary theologian says something doesn't necessarily make it true, but what ultimately matters is, is this what the Bible has to say? Is this what the Word of God teaches? That we're all constantly seeking to fulfill our desire for joy, for happiness. And I would agree with them and say it is. This is what the testimony of the Word of God says. Mankind is in a persistent pursuit of satisfaction in all that we do. This is what drives us. It's part of how we were created by God. We always do what we want to do. And what we're going to see in the passage that we're studying together this summer, look again at uh, verse 16, we're going to see that this desire is, of course, what governs each and every one of us. The Apostle Paul writes, But I say, walk by the Spirit, and you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. Inherent in the pursuit of our desires is the idea that we are governed by what we believe will bring us the most joy. This is what's going on, even if we are um, unaware consciously of how we are making our choices and our decisions, we are deciding for what we believe will bring us the most gladness. Left to ourselves, of course, we will go for those things that don't actually truly satisfy. We're broken people. These things that we pursue don't bring the kind of settled happiness that we were created to experience, and so we need to be led by the Spirit of God into the right kind of happiness that is found in the right place, and that place is a person. What I want to look at together this afternoon with you is what the Scriptures have to say about joy. And what we're going to see is four biblical realities about joy in order to be spurred on toward a life that is marked by a genuine, enduring happiness. 
four biblical realities about joy in order to be spurred on toward a life that is marked by genuine, enduring happiness. So we're going to get right into it. Here's the first one. Ready? Joy is produced in you. Joy is produced in you. As we saw last week, we're in desperate need of the Lord's intervention to help us, right? To produce in us the kind of characteristics that make up the fruit of the Spirit. We're in desperate need of Him to help us have that lasting joy that we're all meant to experience. And this is actually quite remarkable, I think, for us to think about. God wants to bring about joy in our hearts. We so desperately want to be happy, and his spirit works to produce it in us. Praise the Lord, amen? Maybe we take this for granted, right? Joy is on the list. That's amazing. Maybe we take for granted that God wants to produce happiness. He wants to fulfill happiness and satisfaction within us. And yet perhaps there may also be some confusion here. You, you might think, uh, you're, you're saying God wants us to be happy. I, I thought God wanted us to be holy. And I would just say to you, these are not two different things. Because when we think about wanting to be happy, this is kind of maybe confusing for some of us because we're so used to thinking about happiness in a circumstantial, transient way. You know, people are so accustomed to thinking about happiness in terms of earthly well-being, you know, like good health or uh, pleasant experiences at work or school or at home. Maybe we're prone to think about happiness as a certain amount of of money or stuff or uh, accomplishments and successes. Maybe we're thinking about happiness in terms of the absence of difficulty. And so as these things in our lives fluctuate, and and they do, right, it's inevitable that these kinds of things will go up and down in our lives because not only are we broken, but we live in a broken world, then so too does happiness often fluctuate. Some have tried to help here by making a distinction between happiness and joy, and I'll, I'll just share with you that I don't think that that's necessary Rather, I think we need to just correct our mentality about this and realize that, you know, whatever we call it, whether it's happiness, joy, rejoicing, uh, delight, pleasure, gladness, cheer, um, um, jubilation, exaltation, being blessed, all biblical words, we need to make sure that we're defining what we're talking about, not in a fluctuating circumstantial way, but in a deeper, God-focused way. One commentator described joy as a settled happiness. Another writer said that we can think of joy as a deep and abiding pleasure and contentment. And this, it's just not something that we ourselves can manufacture or produce as though we were the vine and we had the ability on our own to create fruit. It's a fruit of the Spirit. If we try to 
just add joy to our lives or any of these other character qualities. We, we would be like uh, a gardener who, you know, sits down at his table and draws some fruit on a piece of paper and colors it really nicely and then grabs his stapler and goes out to the yard and, and just bangs a two by four in and staples the fruit that he made to the wood thinking that somehow this was going to cultivate and produce a yield of wonderful fruit. In John chapter 15, when teaching his disciples that he would send another helper to be with them and to be in them, Jesus said these words, he said, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Think about that for a minute. Jesus teaches his disciples, right? He tells them he's going away, but he's sending his spirit to dwell with them, to help them, to bear fruit in them. And he says, I've spoken these things to you so that my joy would be in you and that your joy would be made full. So as we think about joy today, we need to remember that it is the joy of Jesus. The joy of Jesus. It's his joy, and we need to remember that it comes from the words of Jesus. I'm going to put this quotation up on the screen. I found this really helpful. One writer said, we reach the pinnacle of happiness and joy When we fully receive who Jesus is and what he taught, when his joy is in us, that is when we are the most joyful. Our union to the joyful vine is vital in order to bear that same fruit in our lives. And so here we see again that we must be dependent. He is the one who produces joy in me. We need to say to the Lord, you are the vine, I am the branch, grow your fruit in me, produce the joy of Jesus in me. This is the first biblical truth that we must keep before us if we want to have our true and lasting happiness. Joy is produced in you. And yet while this is the case at the same time, though though its source is the Holy Spirit, we are commanded to pursue it. So here's the second biblical truth. Joy is prescribed of you. Joy is prescribed of you. And by this I mean it's required. It's not optional, it is a command. All of these character traits on this list in Galatians chapter 5, every single one of them, is elsewhere in Scripture commanded of us to pursue. When it comes to joy, Philippians chapter 3 and verse 1 says, Finally, my brothers, rejoice in the Lord. Command. Paul says, To write the same things to you is no trouble to me, and it's safe for you. He's reminding them again and again, rejoice in the Lord. This is your obligation. In chapter 4 and verse 4 of Philippians, he says again, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. This is something we are told to do, something we are told to pursue. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and verse 16. Here's the entire verse. You ready? Rejoice always. 
The psalmist in Psalm 33 and verse 1 says, Shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. Praise befit the upright. I want you to notice something about this verse. I mean, we, we can ask the question, why is joy commanded of us? Like, why does God require, why does he prescribe for us that we must be joyful, that we must pursue joy? And we see the answer in Psalm 33, verse 1, because praise and joy go hand in hand. See what the psalmist says? First he says, shout for joy in the Lord, O you righteous. He's telling them, he's commanding them, shout for joy. And then, as the psalmist so often does, he repeats himself, saying the same thing using different words. And what does he say? He says, praise befit the upright. It is fitting, it is right and appropriate that those who know the Lord would praise him. But what did he just call praise? Shouting for joy. You see that? Rejoicing in God is an essential part of worshiping him. And we were made to worship God. So that's why he commands that we rejoice in him. Jonathan Edwards, he said, God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, but by its being rejoiced in. And if I could add to Edwards, if I could dare insert something in there, uh, I would say God is glorified not only by his glory being seen, and this is probably what he intended by seen, like not just by acknowledging that, that God is glorious, not, not just by affirming that God is glorious, but by rejoicing in God's glory. This is when God gets the most glory from us. John Piper, agreeing with this, he said, God is most glorified in me when I am most satisfied in him. Have you heard that before? I think that's a life-changing concept to grasp. As you sit here today and you want to be someone who glorifies God, know this, that you can glorify God in no greater way than to hold him as your supreme treasure whom you rejoice in more than anything or anyone else in this world. When God is your supreme treasure and nothing else but him brings you the most happiness, this is when God is most honored by you. Makes sense, doesn't it? But we're in a battle, right? Again, look at verse 17 of Galatians chapter 5. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They're opposed to one another. We feel these inner tugs. And what gets in the way of our pursuit our obedience to these commands to rejoice in the Lord. Or maybe I could say it another way. Let's ask the question, how can I cultivate true joy? How can I pursue obedience to this command? First, I would say this. Remember, walk in the Spirit. Walk in the Spirit. Seek to be led at all times by the Spirit of God. I noticed 
recently that my right foot was getting sore pretty much on a daily basis. At the end of the day, I was having some pretty significant pain in my foot, and so I, I mentioned this to the doctor and to the chiropractor, and so they said, well, let's have a look, and it turns out I lost the arch in my foot, so I no longer have the arch you're supposed to have. It's flattened out, and this is causing pain in my foot, and the chiropractor told me, he said, you need an orthotic in your shoe. You need something to artificially uh, help create that arch so that when you're walking around, you get the support that you need. And so I got these orthotics, and it's been a game changer. It's really, really helped. I, I don't leave home without it when I know I'm going to be on my feet long in the day. It's just a, a little bit of a silly illustration, but the same is true, right? If, if we're going to leave the house, so to speak, we better do so in dependence on the Holy Spirit. If we're going to get up out of bed in the morning and live our lives and think that we're going to pursue the joy in the Lord that we're called to pursue, if we think we're going to bear fruit by walking in the Spirit, by being led by the Spirit, we better actively be pursuing to walk in the Spirit. You and I need to live by the Spirit. Second, turn away from sin. How do you cultivate true joy? Turn away from sin. In Psalm 51, this is David often talked about his repentance psalm. In verse 10, he says, Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, and take not your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation. In Psalm 32, kind of the sister psalm to this, David's um, describing the, the joy of forgiveness from the Lord. He recognizes that uh, he has committed great sin before the Lord, and he says before he confessed his sin to the Lord and forsook his sin before the Lord, it was as if the Lord's hand was heavy upon him. It was as if his bones were dried up. He had no strength, no joy. And so as he turns away from his sin, as he confesses his sin to the Lord, as he walks away from it and pursues the Lord once again, he says, restore to me the joy that I once had with you before. For some of you, the reason maybe that you're not experiencing joy, deep and abiding pleasure in the Lord is because maybe you're holding on to a sin that you've not confessed to the Lord. Next, beware of counterfeit satisfactions. We are to pursue our joy in the Lord. That means when we pursue it elsewhere, we're going to come up empty, right? We're going we're to seek to be satisfied. We're going to go searching for true and lasting happiness in a broken cistern that can hold no water. We're not going to be able to find it. So beware of counterfeit satisfactions. Don't look to substances to put into your body to help you get the joy that you need. Don't look to entertainment. Don't look to people, other people. Don't, don't look again to accomplishing something or succeeding in some way. Think about this. If you were to fill in this blank, what, what would it be for you? I need blank in order to be happy. I, if I only had blank, then I would have the joy. What is that? 
Maybe write it down. Maybe commit to going home and and bringing that before the Lord. Do not let a counterfeit satisfaction take you off course in your pursuit of joy. Next, know that suffering and joy can coexist. This is a really important one. Suffering and joy can coexist. Joy is not the absence of sorrow. We get that mixed up, right? We think we have to choose between one or the other. All of us, and some of you even today, are going through some hard circumstances. And it might be helpful for you to hear that joy isn't necessarily the presence of a continual smile on your face. Now, the Proverbs do say that joy in the heart will produce a glad face. But remember, the Proverbs are general principles. And so most of the time, rejoicing will be seen on the face, but not always, and that's okay. When we're going through really hard, difficult times, and there's sorrow in our lives, it doesn't mean that there can't also, at the same time, be a deep-rooted joy in the Lord. This is what the Apostle Paul said as he described his difficult times in the book of 2 Corinthians. He said, we're sorrowful, yet always rejoicing. And we've seen this in some people, right? Maybe you can think of somebody whom you've watched go through a very significant trial and at the same time as they were grieving or um, hurting, you saw a joy in the Lord present in their life. And it's in these people that we can look at times as an example. We can follow them as they follow the Lord. And this kind of comparison is an appropriate, healthy kind of one where we look to others and say, how, how are they continuing to rejoice in the Lord even though they're going through that? But let me tell you what is not an appropriate kind of comparison. And this is, again, something that um, has become very commonplace. And I want to warn you against it. It's the idea of comparing yourself with others And looking at their suffering and saying, well, my difficulty isn't as bad as that, so I guess I can still rejoice. Have you done that? I've done that. I think we see that all the time. And it's a well-intended comparison. It's, it's, It's meant to help, right, produce the joy that, like we said, ought to be there in our lives, and yet... Nowhere ever in Scripture are we ever told or or do we see a a good positive example of somebody comparing their suffering to somebody with worse suffering and finding joy in the fact that they're not suffering as bad as the other person. There's a much greater source of happiness than that. Next, how can I cultivate true and lasting joy? Stand firm against the enemy's lies. Stand firm against the lies of the evil one who wants to destroy you and cause despair in your heart. He wants to tell you sometimes, you can never be happy. You can't rejoice right now, not in this circumstance. You, you, you're, you're not the kind of person that God is going to give 
happiness and joy to. God doesn't produce joy in people like you. Or how about this lie? In order to stay happy, you need to not think about sin and death. I don't want to think about death. I want to maintain my happiness. I'm not going to think about death. That's what the world does, isn't it? But listen, Christian, you have good reason to be joyful. Even when you think about sin and death, especially thinking about sin and death. So this leads to our third point. Joy is purchased for you. Here's what the scriptures have to say about joy and having a deep and abiding um, peace in your heart, joy in your heart. Joy has been purchased for you. Joy is for every child of God, right? It's not just for those who have a more uh, naturally happy disposition. It's not just for those who aren't going through a difficult circumstance. If you've been adopted into God's family, you have good reason to be glad. This is the backbone of the command, rejoice in the Lord. You've received mercy. Your relief has been procured by the Savior of the world. You've obtained forgiveness. Your pardon has been paid for at the cross. You've been reconciled. Your enmity with God has been removed by the blood of Jesus Christ. You have good reason to rejoice. Your joy has been purchased. See, the distinguishing feature of Christian joy is that it is a joy of salvation. Right? It's a joy of, of deliverance. Psalm 95 and verse 1 says, Oh, come, let us sing to the Lord. Let us make a joyful noise to the rock of our what? Salvation. Joy is the impact of the gospel. The good news of Jesus Christ is that he came to rescue us. We were dead in our trespasses and sins. We were lost in utter darkness. We were headed only for eternal judgment. And God sent his son into the world to pay the penalty for our sin so that we could receive forgiveness and be reconciled to God and have hope of everlasting life with him. How could we not be joyful? How could we not have a deep and abiding happiness? We delight in that which we esteem to be most Valuable. Do you esteem your salvation to be the most precious jewel that you could ever have? I love the story of the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. He's sitting in his chariot. Many of you know this story, right? He's sitting there. He's reading from the prophet Isaiah. 
And the Spirit of God sends Philip, the evangelist, over to meet him in his chariot. And as he's reading from Isaiah chapter 53, he doesn't quite understand. He looks at Philip. He says, who's this talking about? Is the prophet talking about himself? Or is he talking about someone else? And said so Philip had the great opportunity of telling the Ethiopian eunuch the good news of Jesus Christ. Right? He bore our transgressions. He suffered for our iniquity. And I, I love the last word in the story. Do, do you know how this story ends? Maybe you remember there's something kind of... Um, miraculous that happens. Uh, Philip is just all of the sudden taken away. He vanishes out of the Ethiopian eunuch's sight. He's gone. Do you know what it says? It's the last word about the Ethiopian eunuch. He got baptized and then what? He went on his way rejoicing. Rejoicing. He he came, he, he had new life. He was born again. He was no longer the same man he was 10 minutes ago. Now, he knew the Lord Jesus Christ and he knew forgiveness of sins and he went on his way rejoicing. I can just imagine him going back to Ethiopia, walking into his hometown with a beaming smile on his face and his friends and family are like, what happened to you? He went on his way rejoicing. Listen, church, don't try to produce joy. If you want joy, and I know you do because this is the way we were made, you have to take an indirect route. Don't go straight for joy. Go straight for Jesus, and then you will find the joy. You will find from the one who purchased it for you a deep and abiding happiness. And if you're hearing me talk about the gospel of Jesus Christ and you're thinking, well, that's just some cliche, you know, Christianese, uh, e easy for you to say, listen, that's, it's just not true. The good news of Jesus Christ, this, the simple truth that Jesus came into this world to pay for your sins, that he died and rose again so that you could have hope of eternal life, this is it. This is what produces the joy in you. Whether you're a believer or an unbeliever, the solution is the same. Where do you find your joy? You need to look to Jesus. If you're here today and you're not a follower of the Lord Jesus, I have good news for you. True and lasting joy is possible for you. It's held out for you. Jesus said, if you're thirsty, come. You're hungering for true joy. You've never found it to this day. Come to me. I'll give you rest for your soul. I'll give you an abiding joy that you've never known before. Free of charge. Come to me, Jesus says. Believe in me. Believe you need a savior. And that I am the savior of the world. Jesus said this parable he said the kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up then in what his joy he goes and sells all that he has to buy that field see when you come to know Jesus Christ when you come to see the truth of his kingdom offered to you for all eternity 
You will stop at nothing. You, you will push everything else aside and come to, and you will find the greatest joy that is possible for anyone to ever find. This is the teaching of Jesus. This is the truth that you need to hear. Good news is that Jesus delivers from sin's penalty, from sin's power, and one day from sin's presence. And this brings us to our final truth this afternoon. What does God's word have to say about joy? How can we be spurred on toward a life that is marked by genuine, enduring happiness? Listen, lastly, joy is promised to you. Know that. Joy is promised to you. Remember that. Joy is promised to you. The Spirit of God produces joyful fruit in believers by impressing upon our hearts an assurance of our great and eternal dwelling together, listen, with him. Jesus says that there's a kingdom prepared for you if, if you will trust him, if you will turn and submit to him as Lord, there is a kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. Listen, the key to joy, I'm going to give you it in one word. I'm going to give you the key to everlasting, abiding, unshakable, deep happiness. It's hope. It's hope. Where there is sure and certain hope in the Lord Jesus Christ, there is gladness. Listen, if you're despairing right now, Yes, you need joy, but you know how you get that joy? It's through hope. It's through believing the promise of Jesus Christ and believing that there is a day coming when you will see him face to face and when he he will remove all the sorrow, all the sin, and he will invite you into his presence. He will say, come into the joy of your master. In Romans chapter 12, in verse 12, the Apostle Paul calls the church, he says, rejoice in hope. In chapter 15 of Romans, he's encouraging the recipients of the letter. He says, the root of Jesse will come. Even he who arises to rule the Gentiles, in him will the Gentiles have hope. And then he prays this prayer over them. He says, may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing so that by the power of the Holy Spirit you may abound in hope. What fills us with joy? It's hope. What does hope look like? If you look at hope, it looks like joy. Matthew chapter 5 and verse 12, Jesus says, Rejoice and be glad for your reward is great in heaven. That is how he encourages believers to rejoice. Why? He he gives the why. Because your reward is great in heaven. You've been promised eternal joy. Psalm 1611, the psalmist says, in your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. This, believers, is our hope. And the promise of future joy fuels within us present joy. Fueled, uh, sorry, future joy fuels the presence of present joy. 
we're sustained through the difficulties of this life. We're able to experience deep and abiding happiness because we trust the Lord for his promise of the life that is to come for those who love Jesus. In Hebrews chapter 10, the writer is writing to encourage those who are experiencing great difficulty because of their Christian faith. He tells him in verse 34, he says, You joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. See, these believers, they were able to, with joy, see their things being taken away from them. Extreme persecution because they knew they had a lasting home, the city of God that was to come. They knew their names were written in the Lamb's book of life, and so they kept on rejoicing. Do you know that your name is written in the Lamb's book of life? In Luke, you can turn there if you'd like, or you can just listen. Luke chapter 10, Jesus, he sends out the 72. Right? He empowers them for significant ministry. And they, they go out and then they come back And listen, when they come back in verse 17, Luke chapter 10, it says they return with joy, saying, Lord, even the demons are subject to us in your name. Listen to what he said to them. He says in verse 18, I saw Satan fall like lightning from heaven. I saw his, his proud being cast out of heaven. And in verse 19, he says, behold, I've given you authority to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall hurt you. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. And here Jesus clarifies for all time where we find our ultimate joy and where we find the fulfillment of our every deep desire it's in knowing that our names are written in heaven. And then look what it says next, verse 21. It says, in the same hour, he, meaning Jesus, rejoiced in the Holy Spirit and said, I thank you, Father, Lord of heaven and earth, that you have hidden these things from the wise and understanding and revealed them to little children. Yes, Father, for such was your gracious Will, you, you revealed these truths to those who came to you ready to believe what you had to say. Not for those who were stubborn and resistant to the truth. Not for those who thought they were wise and had life figured out and knew where they could find joy apart from the one place that they were created to find it in the Son of God. And Jesus himself rejoiced in their salvation. He rejoiced in the good news of Jesus Christ going and bearing fruit and being accomplished. And when the gospel impacts us in this way, we can also have a gospel impact on others. Listen, God is working in you, not just for you, but also in order to work through you. I found um, this next quotation really helpful as well. Aaron Minikoff said, Joy's presence powerfully demonstrates that God means more to us than anything else. 
right? When we rejoice in the Lord, when, when others can see our joy in the Lord, when we tell of our joy in the Lord, we're demonstrating that, listen, everything else matters far less to me than God. And God is honored by this. And at the same time, we also show others how they too can experience deep and abiding happiness. See, the fruit of the Spirit is designed to bear these fruit for God to produce and bear these fruit in us just isolated on our own. They're meant to go out. They're meant to be shared. They're meant to be seen. They're meant to be used by God in the lives of others. They're meant to be contagious. They're meant to encourage others. At times, yes, it's hard. It's not that this is always easy. It's a fight. But listen, the hope of the promise that is grounded in God's faithfulness, that he will do what he promised he will do, This is what the Spirit uses to produce joy in us. And it it is intended to go out and help produce joy in others as well. See, apart from Jesus Christ, you have good reason to despair. Apart from Jesus, you have no forgiveness of sins. You have no hope of everlasting life. You you have no confidence that you can stand before God and be forgiven. You, you, You have no reason to think that you will spend eternity in Jesus' kingdom if you don't love and follow Jesus. And there's no joy in that. But listen, if you know Jesus, you have good reason to rejoice. I'm going to turn now to 1 Peter chapter 1, which for me is the passage that I go to when I need to be reminded of joy from God's word. You can have this passage as your passage to go to, to be reminded of joy from God's word if you want. Maybe you have a different one. I encourage you to have one. Apostle Peter said, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you, who by God's power are being guarded through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. In this, you rejoice. Though now for a little while, if necessary, you've been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold that perishes though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in praise and glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you've not seen him, you love him. 
Though you do not now see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith, the salvation of your souls. Beloved, you have good reason to rejoice. It's called the hope of Jesus Christ. And when we walk by the Spirit and we look to the person and and the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ and what this means for us, we will experience the fruitful life that is marked by a genuine and enduring happiness. Let's pray and ask the Lord to work this in us. Heavenly Father, God, we thank you for the truths of your word that we've seen today. God, we thank you that you have seen fit to make it very plain and clear for us where we can find everlasting joy. I pray, God, that you would use your word to um, well up and overflow in our hearts a joy in the Lord. God, that you would remind us of these truths often as you lead us by your spirit. God, would you help us to recognize when, God, we're pursuing the desires of the flesh, when we're looking elsewhere for the joy that we so desperately want and need. We pray, God, that you would help us to rejoice always because we know the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, that there's nothing more for us to receive and that the hope that we have in Jesus Christ leads us to great joy. Help us now as we sing praise to you. In Jesus' name, amen.